July 31, 2020. It's a lot from Pedro Show. <laughs> Friday, strange, usually don't do a Friday, but I am today because it's a special day. Now, Brother Matt's not with me because we're in Quentin Quarantino mode, a couple of miles south of the Love Grotto at Pleasure Point. But I'm not man alone mode totally because of those software engineers in Estonia with their Skype invention. I got with me Joe Bouchard. 
Yeah, welcome, man. Welcome aboard, Joe. And it's great to talk to you. Yeah, it's... You know, I see you at gigs, but usually we're running around, you know, we don't get a chance to talk. So this is great. We get to actually get a chance to really talk, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we get to talk. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. Because uh, <laughs> it's like before and like usually when you come see me play, you come up on stage. I think it was in Hamden, yeah. Connecticut last fall. Yeah. And uh, we did E.T.I. Nice. and the Red and the Black together. Yes, yes. And that was so much fun. Yeah. Was, I posted some pictures, a couple of pictures on my Facebook today. Got a lot, of, a lot of, got a great re reaction. People were very excited that we're actually going to talk. I should tell people we started off the show uh, with John Coltrane and Eric Dolphy doing some prac in 1963. Nothing wrong with well, prac. Do you use the P word or the R word? P word or the R word? I have yet to hear a I have yet to hear a basketball player say, "I'm going to go to the gym and rehearse some hoops." <laughs> oh, uh, you know, I I vary it up. Okay. I, I've I've talked to different people who never like to say practice. It's yeah. always rehearsal. God, I hate. They that. never say practice. Well, they should practice. It's like. You know, drudgery where rehearsal is. Yeah, hear it. We get to rehear it and hear it. Uh, but actors rehearse. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody rehearses, and then you, you got to do some practicing. You know. Yeah. If you ask me, you Joe, know. if you want to know my bottom line, I think gigs are prac too. But you need the other prac, you know, with the team. <laughs> but when you get in front of people, that's the real, real dealio. Yeah. Yeah. So then we. Heard, so how are you? How are you making out now? This is crazy. You've never had this much time off. I'm not time off. I'm playing every day, not with yeah. other people. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm composing. I'm recording. Yeah. Well, we, we also don't have the oh, Vietnam War oh, or World War oh, Two or oh, World War One. I. I mean, there's been yeah. a lot of there's been a lot of crises. We're kind of spoiled. Yes, that's true. I mean, even when it goes to this kind of stuff, there was the bubonic plague. It killed like half the people. Yeah, and they didn't have Skype. Th <laughs> that might be true, Joe. <laughs> okay, I should say, uh, after John Coltrane and Eric Dolphin. They had time travel, like, like John Coltrane. Yeah, well, I got to tell him what I played after that. It's from your new oh, record that came, comes out today. It's called Racing Through the Desert. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, now let's I'm go back. A video of that. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do a video of that. That's and it's hard because that solo, especially at the end, is really tough. You know, so not sure exactly how it's going to be produced, but uh, a lot of people like that song a lot. You know, I always try to put a instrumental on uh, every one of my solo records. There's some kind of weird instrumental. So, uh, like Buck's Boogie, you could, you could only get yeah. that on guitars that destroyed the world. I know for a I long know, time, was, and then yeah, finally you put it on time. the live record. But let's go yeah. back, Joe. Let's go back. What's your earliest musical hey. recollection? Um, Little Richard. I went to my cousin's house. I was probably about eight years old, 
and his older sisters, my my older cousins, they had Elvis and they had uh, uh, Black Slacks. Who is that guy? Black Slacks. But, you know, they had some rock and roll records. But the one record that really blew my mind was Little Richard's Greatest Hits. I mean, A Wap Bop, A Loo Bop, A Wap Bam Boom, Heebie Jeebies, all of those songs, you know, Lucille. Sure. I, I, we started jumping up and down on the beds like little kids, you know, because they were the old spring beds. Where was this, Joe? This was up in Clayton, New York, where I grew up at my cousin's house. Okay. And we jump up and down on the bed, you know, in time with uh, Little Richard. It was insane. And you so I think I think that was that was the first time I said I got to do this. I've got to do this. And you know, I was a little kid. I didn't know anything about anything. But you know, you get bitten by the bug, and you know, you know, you got to do it. That's what I hear. Now, in Clayton, there, in the pad yeah. you grew up in. Was there any yeah. musical instruments? Yeah. I was lucky because my uncle, my uncle Bill, he was a guitar player. Ah. And he played the piano and he played the trumpet. But he had a bunch of nice Gibson guitars. I mean, he kind of played like, uh, he played like Les Paul and those kind of songs. Those Les Paul jazz songs in the 50s, 1950s. Yeah, I got to meet but, Les Paul. No sustain. Yeah. <laughs> no sustain. Oh, yeah. Notes died just like that, but a beautiful man, beautiful uh, cat. Yeah. Uh, so, so you're saying in the pad there was some guitars, some pianos, a piano? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a drum. Albert had a drum. My cousin had a drum. You know, we put together a makeshift drum kit. My, my uncle bought a Jazz Master the first year it came out, 1960. Okay. He had a jazz master, and he let us borrow it. I can't believe he did that. But, you know, that was kind of our – and, and you know, he, he played gigs around town, you know, pick up jazz gigs. And, um, you know, we started saying, hey, if he could do it, we could do it, you know. And he showed us how to play the chords to uh, Walk, Don't Run by The Ventures. So, and uh, then we started playing gigs. Well, well, back up a little bit. What about in school? Okay. Were you in the marching band or the choirs, shit like that? Yeah. Yeah, I did the marching band. What'd you play, Joe? I, I played trumpet in the marching band. and But I was always the worst trumpet player in the band. I mean, there were some good players. But I was, you know, and I sang in the chorus. I loved singing. I loved singing. I loved hearing. You know, but, I loved but, hearing but, the heart. But, but you got musical education at the school. That's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what was the, what was the first record you bought for yourself, Joe? You know, I don't know. That's okay. Because we borrow we borrowed a lot of records. Because you know when you know, you're like young, it, when you're young you ain't got a lot of money. So when you spend your own no. money, that's why I'm curious. Yeah. No, we could go down to the drugstore and in the back of the drugstore they had a little bin of records. Yeah. It might have been Joey D and the Starlighters. Uh, hey, let's twist. All right, I got to, I got to meet Joey D. Well, He's got a great face. Well, speaking of which, what was the first gig you went and saw? Oh, all right. First gig I went was a square dance. They would they would uh, they would advertise round and square dancing, 
So we went, and there was this really weird band, and they had a they had a square dance caller, and but everybody was having a good time. It seemed like wow, this is a lot of fun, you know, and uh, so that was it. The Knights of Columbus Hall, and then maybe maybe two years later, we got hired by the Boy Scouts to play a dance. This was the Regal Tones with my brother Albert. And uh, it was fantastic. I, I'll never forget, we're, we're playing on the little bandstand in this big, big room. And there were all these girls on the other side of the room. And as soon as we played the first song, they all got up to dance. And I started looking at the other guys in the band. We just started laughing. We were hysterical. He's like, this is crazy. You know, because, you know, we've been practicing, you know, in the in the back room at the house. And, you know, we didn't think anybody would respond. And the place went crazy from our first note, you know. That was another thing that I said, I got to do this, you know. Now, and, what kind of songs were you playing? Were you guys already writing songs or were you covering uh, these are all covers. These are all covers. We we did covers until I was about a junior in high school. And then Albert and I started writing songs. We, we only had three songs, but one of the songs we wrote, uh, we wrote, uh, we actually won the Battle of the Bands. Uh, we played Johnny Be Good. We played This Diamond Ring, the Al Cooper song they wrote for um, Jerry Lewis. And we played this original song. And we were the only band on the show that played an original song. And what was that, so that song? What was that song, it, Joe? It was called uh, She Turns Me On. <laughs> I want to play was, the African Queen. The drums at night Across Deep in the jungle, the big picture.
Yeah. 
show yeah that was the african queen from joe bouchard from his brand new record are you a humphrey bogart fan yeah actually i like those old movies i'm not i don't really know a lot of them uh i'm not really i wouldn't what you call you know these these guys that know every old movie and every actor and every old movie my mom uh, my mom you, we would watch we would watch Turner to, Broadcasting because it had no commercials. And my mom knew all that shit, all those black and white. Yeah. 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 Well, I loved Humphrey Bogart and I loved uh, Edward G. Robinson yes. and, you know, all, all the classics. Jimmy but Cagney. I'd, I'd heard about this movie, The African Queen, but I'd never seen it. And uh, when I retired from my uh, teaching job, I uh, started watching a lot of old movies. And one of the movies was African Queen, and and I'm watching it, and it's like, wow, this is great. This would be a great, this would be a great theme for a song. I mean, it was it was it just about wrote itself, you know. Now that's you get, one of the first get, movies. Get, that was one of the inspired. first movies filmed on location. Yes, on location in Technicolor. I mean, bright Technicolor. Right. Nobody knew what Africa looked like right. until they saw that movie. That's right. And it was a black and white world before that. So, um, yeah, it just clicked with me. And that was the first song that I finished for the album. So I knew that if I had that one to, to start it off, the other songs seemed to come pretty easy after that. That, you was, know? The you gotta have, that was the that foundation. Was, yeah. Okay, then yeah. we heard uh, Heavy Like the World from Guided by Voices, Pat Smear from The Germs with Yummy Yuck. Dear Hoof and Wada, Wadada, Leo Smith, they just put out a live record, charity record. Mm -hmm. Few from Japan with Urahara, The Last. They're putting out a, the lost record. I guess it's like Joe Nolte's uh, Pet Sounds. Uh, Vetus wrote me and had me write some liner notes. Uh, different City for a Different Life from the Human Hearts, Brother Franklin. Maya from Up the City with Tilt and Flowers. And finally, Joe Bouchard with She's a Legend. Now, yeah. after, after high school, did you go to college for music? Yes. Uh, Albert had... Uh, we should tell people about to... Albert. Uh, listeners, Albert Bouchard is Joe's brother. Yeah. <laughs> and a good drummer, too. <laughs> Excellent. Fantastic drummer. Excellent. Yeah. You know. Uh, uh, we, uh, yeah, he, he went off to college uh, to be an engineer. He was going to be a civil engineer, you know, the kind of build roads. Sure. And when he was in college, he met this short guy named Donald Roser, who was studying to be a electrical engineer. So the two engineering students flunked out. <laughs> I was still in high school. So they flunked out and, you know, started a band called Swathoid Underbelly. Now we're talking, so we're talking S-U-N-Y yeah. Stony Brook. Yep, exactly. So meanwhile, I'm in music school, you know, getting my music degree. I actually studied piano. Piano was my major instrument. Uh, you couldn't study guitar back in the 60s. It was not allowed. 
guitar was uh, well, banned. What, what about bass? What about bass? Well, if you wanted to be an upright bass player, you know. I, in fact, I actually did play a little. That's the first time I played upright bass was in music school. And what school I would was that? Steal, what school? I would steal an upright bass and go play jazz gigs. <laughs> On Friday night, they'd leave the lockers open where they had the upright basses. So we'd run down there, grab a bass. You, you, you can imagine these guys running out the back door of the music building and putting the bass in somebody's station wagon and going play a jazz gig. Then you bring, and on Sunday night, you bring the bass back and stick it back in the locker. What, ah. mu what music school is this, Joe? This is Ithaca College. Ithaca, Ithaca okay, College. okay. Yeah, yeah, you've been to Ithaca. Yeah, yeah, Cornell. Yep. I, I, I yep. last played there with my missing man uh, opening for the Meat Puppets. Oh, my God, that sounds yeah. like a great. Yeah, Ithaca is a great music town. Okay. I met so many, so many great musicians there. I I had a I had great luck because I could play four gigs on a weekend at Cornell. Wow. I mean, the party weekends wouldn't stop. It'd be Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, and Sunday night. You could eat up four gigs in a weekend. And um, so I knew that, you know, it was it was good. I didn't never had to work a uh, a job in the cafeteria or whatever, and uh, got through school without, you know, without a big, uh, without a big loan, and uh, and then when I when I graduated, I said, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to I want to rock. <laughs> I want to rock. Your plan was to be a music teacher. Well, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I figured I no, could do no. that. No, what, no, what, what was going through your young man's head when you entered college that made you change? I don't well, I didn't, want to go, I didn't want to go to Vietnam. Ah, okay. So that, you had to go to school. You had to go to college. Yes, sir. To avoid en ending up, you know, in the front lines in Vietnam. So... Uh, also, I, I, I was kind of young and naive too, so I don't I didn't think I was ready to you know be, become a rock and roller right out of the shoot, you know. Okay. So I figured, you know, if you study piano, you learn a lot about harmony, you know. Um, and and also I had a good guitar teacher in, in college. He he had to teach me on the side. He couldn't. He wasn't part of the curriculum, but. He would. He would. He was a really great teacher, and he bought me my first bass because he wanted me to play bass in his band. Ah. So I played jazz in a in a college band for two years before I joined Soft White Underbelly or Stock Forest Group. And that's why you so, brought. That's why you brought up your brother Buck Dharma. Yeah, yeah, because they were playing in New York while I was up in Ithaca. Well, that's New and York I, also. Yeah, and I would go. I would go during my vacations. Oh, you're talking about New York band. City. Yeah, yeah. They they were in the, actually out on Long Island, and so during my breaks from college, I'd go live at their house, and I became like the sixth member of the band. Okay. And uh, you know, it Joe. eventually worked out that they wanted me to play, so I said, you know, it was the easy fit. Do you remember your first gig with them? Yeah, 
It was on a flatbed truck in the park. Okay. And Sandy Perlman played harmonica. Yeah, he's the third guy you didn't mention. He went to school with those guys too, right? <laughs> well, he was like the he was the smart guy. He was the manager. Right, you know, right. invented the idea of Blue Oyster Cult. I I love Sandy. He was uh he was an inspiration, you know. Just because he was so damn smart, you know. Yeah. Now, how, how many, how many, how long did you have to practice with him before that first gig? Oh, maybe three or four practices. That was wow. it. Wow. Because I had already, I knew all the songs that they had, they had recorded for uh, Electra in the early days. I knew their songs, and you know, it wasn't. I don't think it was a long set. Maybe, maybe we played for half hour, 40 minutes. And uh, that was our first gig. And then, you know, they, they got dropped by Electra, And so we had nothing coming in. We were supposed to tour with Led Zeppelin and that didn't happen. So we went and started playing in some clubs and we developed our set. And, you know, some of the clubs, they would, they say, you can't play your own songs. You have to play cover songs. So we would tell them, we would play one of our own songs and say, well, here's a song by Glenn Campbell. <laughs> and it was one of our songs. They had no idea what we were playing, you know? You know how club owners are. Oh, yeah, the good old so, days. Fuck that. Yeah, the good old days. So we would <laughs> we would play our own stuff whether they wanted to us or not, you know? And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. We did a couple of demos. Sandy Perlman took them around to uh, the record labels. Nobody liked them. We, we recorded four songs and nobody liked them. So we went back, we played more clubs and, you know, and then we went back and did four more demos. But, but Joe, then, Joe, you're not just a side man, because when you look at the first album, there's a couple songs written by you. Oh, yeah. I got, I, well. Screams? It was, it was, yeah, Screams. A lot of people talk about that. I, that was my first song I wrote for them. I wrote a couple of songs in college, but uh, Screams, you know, it's just something I threw together in like, I don't know, 15 minutes or I had some notes in a, you know, in a notebook and I just said, Screams, blah, 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 Screams, blah, 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 blah. And um, we were in a hurry to get the first album done and uh, they decided they wanted to do it, and, you know, put the, put the Blue Oyster Cult magic on it, you know. <laughs> That's great. And, Look yeah, right. you know, you got to put that, that, that magic touch. I don't know what it is. If I could bottle it, I'd be a billionaire, you know? <laughs> Look, we're at the end of the first hour. Last day of July, yeah. 2020. Special guest Joe Bouchard. Hold tight for hour two. July 31, 2020. It's the second hour of the Lot from Pedro yeah. Show. Let's go. 
from Pedro Show. Started the second hour off with Hit and Run, Joe Bouchard off the new record. Out today, people. So, yeah, you guys get on CBS, Columbia. Yeah. The first record. Actually, yep. I heard the first record. It's like Stooges. I heard, I heard the second record first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then you, then you had to go get the first one. You had to go yeah, get the first one. because you guys had played the Long Beach Auditorium for $2.50. Yep. And I remember that. Yeah. It was Tyranny Mutation. And uh, then when you came back, it was the Long Beach Arena. I'm Rob McCoy, yep. KNEC DJ. In, her. in fact, you used a couple songs for On Your Feet or On Your Knees. I think Before the Kiss and Subhuman is Long Beach. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, I'm skipping ahead. Great, great, uh, great shows. So, so you guys put out that first record. Mm-hmm. And then you start touring. But you also put out a weird 10-inch from a pizza place. Yeah. It was a radio show. It was basically a radio, live radio show from the Nugget Pizza Horror. And where was that? In Rochester, New York. Rochester, okay. Yeah, uh, WCMF. Home of Kodak. Really nice rock place. Home of Kodak, yeah. home of Xerox. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that. <laughs> and played, Eastman. That's, yeah, I played uh, Rochester's a couple times. So uh, uh, I, I was always interested in the process because you would see Sandy's name in the credits. You'd see all the yeah. whole band's name in the credits. That's what I loved about the Blue Oyster Cult. There wasn't really a total front man, a total meister in side mice. It was like... It was, it was a team. Yeah. It was a team. I mean, I think... Really, what's what's special was the creative writing team. Every every guy in the band wrote music. Even Alan, Eric, you know, um, Albert especially was very very active, you know, and he did a lot of the arranging for the band. But and then we had Sandy and Richard, Richard Meltzer Richard and Sandy Perlman. Beautiful man, yeah, yeah. And these guys you would know, bring in they bring in words. Yeah, and they would be, they would just be lying around the house. There there'd be a whole pile of great lyrics on the on the piano, on right sitting on top of the piano. Oh, and, okay, uh, that's how it was done. A, a, anybody anybody could nobody had dibs on this. Anybody could pick up a, a lyric and start writing a song. But when you guys got together, it wasn't like everybody had their own four tracks. It was like you guys arranged stuff as a band. Yes. Without, you know, I I don't even think we used a cassette player in the first first record. It was That's what I mean, like no demos. Like you guys do it yeah. in, in no the No boom boxes, yeah. nothing like that. Yeah. 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 And we would just say, Here here's the way it goes and, and try to remember it the next day, you know. <laughs> but there was words on the piano, a stack of words. Yeah. Stack of words on the piano. And this was, was I'm like, on the lamp. And this was like a, a band house. Yeah. Okay. It was a really nice house in a really nice neighborhood of Great Neck, Long Island. And they hated us because we were the hippies. <laughs> <laughs> we were the dirty hippies in a nice neighborhood. You know, it was nice. Yeah, everybody's doctors and lawyers in that neighborhood. But we were the dirty hippies in the middle of the block. Right in the middle of the block, not even around the corner. It was like right there in the middle. 
Joe. And it was a three-story house, too. Joe, can you so tell everybody me? everybody had a bedroom. Can you tell About me? that? Can you tell me if there was other bands that inspired BOC, or was it just a total self-contained thing? No, I mean, everybody inspired us. Okay, okay. The big, but also, you know, I think the birds a lot. And the doors, oh my God. I think Albert once told me about Blues, uh, Al Cooper's... Uh... Blues Project. Yes. Blues Project, big, big influence. Uh, Danny Kalb was the guitar player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Learned a lot from Danny Kalb. I actually joined the Blues Project. Wow. About six years ago. Okay. Still I rehearsed with them for two weekends. I was the bass player in the Blues Project. We, we were planning to do a tour of Italy. I got a phone call from Steve Katz, who was the rhythm player sure. in the Blues Project. And he happened to live in the town where I lived. And he calls me up and says, you know, I got, a, I got an offer to go to Italy. Would you want to you know, play in the band? I say, are you kidding me? Of course. You know, play in the Blues Project and go to Italy. So we rehearsed for two solid weekends, and the tour never happened. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, was Bucks, was his, uh, did he have music in his family? Does he come from a musical family? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bucks' dad, who just passed away, he was in his 90s, was a great jazz saxophone player. That's what he I heard. I heard about yeah, that, he, but I wanted to make he sure. He was a bebop. He could play bebop. No, but like you crazy. hear you hear him fucking Bucks playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he didn't. Buck doesn't like jazz per se. He doesn't really like jazz, but you can hear that jazz phrasing big time. You know, and, and yeah, and and also that sort of the idea of being able. Well, I can do this different. I don't. I don't have to do this the same every night. That's right. Know? Yeah, that definitely comes from his father's influence. I'm, I'm a this- great guy. I'm going to play the, I'm sorry, but I'm going to play a, a, a project you got with your brother and Dennis Dunaway called Blue Coop.
All right. Well, I've already had two beers and I'm ready for the broom. Please, Mrs. Henry, won't you show me to my room? I'm a good old boy, but I've been sniffing too many eggs, talking to too many people, tipping too many kegs. Please, Mrs. Henry, Mrs. Henry, please, please, Mrs. Henry, Mrs. Henry, please. I'm down on my knees, and I ain't got a dime. little lady or I'm gonna fill up your shoe. I'm a sweet bourbon daddy and tonight I am blue. I'm a thousand years old. I'm a generous bomb. I'm T-boned and punctured. I'm even known to be calm. Please, Mrs. Henry. Mrs. Henry, please. Please, Mrs. Henry. Mrs. Henry, please. I'm down on my knees. I ain't got a dime. too hard, you know my stool's gonna squeak. If I walk any further, my my crane's gonna leak. Please, Mrs. Henry, there's only so much I can do. Why don't you look my way and pump me a few? Please, Mrs. Henry, Mrs. Henry, please, please, Mrs. Henry, Mrs. Henry, please. I'm down on my knees, and I ain't got a dime. some blues I just did a <laughs> but some down blues down blues let me think of one because I got all these lyrics floating around in my head and I just yeah. got to put a set of them together here. it's a double request too a no oh, double yeah. request you know, uh, I really uh, I wish I had my heart lightning Hopkins well yeah something like on that level uh, I'd like to do a, an up tempo one if, if sure. you wouldn't mind okay oh, this, this is an E and this is an Arthur Crudup song, and he was a guy who taught Elvis Presley how to play the guitar. And this is called the Mino Frisco and Dirty Rotten Santa Fe. Sitting there looking at a picture, I swear I saw it move. It's been so many days now. I've always known that you die more every day But here I really feel it And sometimes I find myself staring into the face of my best friend Who just happens to be my toothbrush
tell that depressed man that there's more to life than pulling that lever. And I wanna buy a hooker and just take her out to dinner. But I don't think it'll matter in this place. Where the people forgot that the homeless have names and the roadkill has a face. So take off your neon mask. Let me see how you really feel. Oh, oh, oh.
Life of Pedro Show, Blue Coop, Tornado Warning, People Blue Coop yeah. is a band that Joe's got with his brother Albert and Dennis Dunaway uh, from the Alice Cooper Band. Uh, we had Damon yeah. Smith after that on some upright bass solo called Wait and Water. Right. Peter Lochner from the old Cleveland scene with Please Miss Henry. Bobby Dylan, right? Or he covered yeah. that in the basement tape. Lewis Cole with Motel Sadness. Burger Bag from Midnight Bomber with Bombs at Midnight. I fucking like to get across the border with that name. And Dick yeah. Gerard, <laughs> Massachusetts, Reset B. And finally, Deep End, Blue Coop. How did Blue Coop get them together, Joe? Well, I've been playing with Dennis for a long time. Remember we used to come and see you play? Absolutely. The Mercury Lounge. Well, that was that was when Elbert was doing the brain surgeons. Sure. But, but when the brain surgeons sort of ended... Uh, pretty abruptly, um, Albert was available. And to be honest, Neil doesn't really like the tour. We're talking you Neil know. Smith, people, the Alice Cooper drummer. I think he married Dennis Dunaway's yeah, sister. Smith. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dennis is married to Cindy Smith, who uh, is uh, Neil's sister. But so I, I had a good time. I played with Neil for probably 15 years. We did good gigs, but we'd only do like three gigs a year. You know, what kind of band only does three gigs a year? Well, just, it was just, it's not in Neil's thing to get out and, you know, jam Econo. He doesn't <laughs> jam a cop. No, he, it's not jam Econo. It's, 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 uh, jam extra expenses. <laughs> So so that band didn't work out. So you went for the bass player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Dennis wants to play. Dennis loves to play. You know, we'll, we we can find a gig anywhere. I and, would say and, after and, U.S. And, rock, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. Joe, us, let me you know? tell you this. After U.S. rock and roll bass players, when I was a teenager, you were my biggest influence, U.S. rock and roll bass player. And then probably yeah. Dennis was the second. I mean, I yeah. was big influenced by uh, James Jamerson and Larry Graham, but c kind of with the rock yeah. and roll, you guys. Uh, uh, across yeah. the ocean, a lot of those well, guys had a big our, influence. Our first on tour, we yeah. opened for Alice Cooper. Not, it was our second tour. Okay. First tour was with the Birds. The second tour was opening for Alice Cooper in 1972. And it was fantastic. It was eye-opening. Killer. And I, I think that was the killer yeah, tour. Yeah, the killer tour. Yeah. And I would watch Dennis play every night, and it was, I was amazed. Well, well, who was amazed. your influences for rock and roll bass, Joe? Hmm. That's a good one. Uh, I don't know. Probably uh, John Entwistle. He, oh. he lays down a good bottom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He's big on me. What, did you like Jack Bruce? I love Jack Bruce. Yeah. yeah. And you know who I really like? Yeah. Jack Cassidy. Oh, yeah. From oh, yeah. Uh, the airplane. Right. I, I think Jack Cassidy, um, you know, and I, I'd say style-wise, I'm kind of like Roger Glover. Oh, yeah. Of Deep Purple. Sure, sure. Machine Head. He, he plays with a pick. He plays with a pick. Yeah. And uh, he just lays down. He knows that the star of the show is Blackmore. <laughs> so he just has to lay down a foundation for Blackmore. Right? So I laid down the foundation for Buck Dharma. Yeah, but I got to tell you. It's a no-brainer. 
Buck Dharma comes up with this Lightning Hopkins lick for Stare with the Stars. That counterpoint baseline that you came up with is so bitching, Joe. I mean, that is a bitching baseline. That's more than just laying it down. You're you're going toe to toe with the man. I love it. I love. It. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, last day of July, 2020. Special guest Joe Bouchard. Hold tight for hour three. Yeah. July 31st, 2020. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
No, no, 
But they all look back at me Can't understand my agony A hollow soul told tears that have run dry Life seems so empty And this world so dark and cold I'm so far from home I'm so far away I live my life But it don't seem very right same since they came and took you away I drove down this road not knowing where it goes just seeking shelter from the rain but the black of night descending from the sky Strangled my mind And it washed away my pain I found a place Where I felt safe A little house Where a black dog used to stay Curled up inside Nowhere to hide A chewed up bone And an old Sock by my side Blood. When you fell 
right place I'm right on the river Toward the end of the day Toward the end of the day show started off the third hour with Joe Bouchard off his brand new record Once Upon a Time at the Border because Joe is a Frontera man he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a border man and, yeah. and then we had Crane with Only to Be With You, Wasted Space Chrissy, Black Moon Tape with The Trip, They Took You Away from the Blood Drained Cows, that's got Greg Turner who used to write in Cream good stuff about you guys had a band mm-hmm. with Richard Meltzer called Vom in Hollywood. Yes. And then finally, Strangely in Love, Joe Bouchard. Joe, tell us about this new record. Where'd you record it? Um, most of it I did at home yeah. in my little studio. Yeah. Uh, you can do that these days. You hear the that, drums, people? Though, you hear that people? You really... can make albums. This is a guy who's been toured, played everywhere, big studio. You can make it at your pad. Come on. Yes. Yes. I can make this little room sound like Madison Square Garden if I want. This album is great. It sounds yeah. tits, What's Joe. That? It's fucking happening. Getting yeah. a lot, I'm getting a good response everywhere, so I'm very happy. But so, I I had uh, the drums. I, it's the one thing I can't do here. Yeah. So I, I got uh, Mickey Curry to play drums. He's a great drummer. Uh, he actually, he, he asked me, he says, why don't you get Albert to play? I said, well, I've only been playing with Albert for half a century. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, uh, Albert found out that I was going to use Mickey, and he said he loves Mickey, and Mickey loves Albert. I mean, he, he really loves Albert's playing, you know. 
So, I, you know, it was a good, good choice. We recorded a uh, studio in uh, West Haven over by New Haven. And uh, the sessions were just fantastic. You know, we actually recorded 17 songs, but, you know, 11 of them made the cut on this album. Some of them, some of them may show up in the future. Uh, oh, That's you know great. the biggest thing. You know, there's the a bass player. Play? There's a bass player, in New Haven, Joe, Doug Wimbish. Yeah. Doug Wimbish. I love Doug. I, I tell you, I was I was real close to getting Doug to play on one of these tracks. Is that right? Yeah, I want. Yeah, you know, I wanted to do Walk of Fame because that's his. That's his bag, you know. He's. I mean, the, I think that Walk of Fame came out good, but you know. He's into the pe- you know he's into the pedals. What's that? He's into the pedals. Oh yeah, he's he's a. I've seen him play. I saw him play with uh, uh, Living Color yeah. several times. Yeah, yeah. He's great. He's a nice guy too. Yeah, man, incredible. But he goes back to the Sugar Hill stuff and. Oh yeah. Yeah, much respect. Yeah. So, so did you mix it yourself at your pad? Yeah. Yeah, man, good sound. Well, a lot, a lot of mixes. Uh, I go out and I, I make, do a mix in the house using really these Yamaha NS10s. You know, the little simple, sure, r- real basic studio stuff. Nothing fancy. And then I take it out to the car. Of course, that's the and test. Yeah. You, you know, you test it in the car. Right. And that's the real test. Because you think you have it when you're mixing it here. But once you take it out to the car, that's the real test. Yeah, because so, everybody you know, doesn't have studios at their pads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I, you know, I'm getting better, too, with guitars are better. I'm getting better recording guitars. Uh, the the bass is the bass from Burning For You. Is that right? Yeah. Every, all, every bass part on this record is the music man that I used on Burning For You. So a lot of fans that miss my bass playing in Blue Coupe, say, or some of the other bands I play with, um, they, uh, they, 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 they get to hear all my bass in its glory. <laughs> you in know, its glory to on me, this that, that, that live subhumans where you're rocking a P bass with that James Jamerson yeah. bass line, it's so good. Oh, man. Yeah, but after you. that, I think you went to an Alembic. Yeah, you trade out a lot. When I first saw you, you had a Rickenbacker. You know, the Rickenbacker was real short. I only had Rickenbacker for a few months. Okay. Somebody stole it. Ah, uh, sorry. I, I think we were out in North Dakota, and, and somebody stole it. They stole it right off the stage. Damn. So, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, it wasn't really my bag, and it wasn't the best Rickenbacker. I think the best ones, you know, Fritz Squire had a great one, and McCartney had a great one. What about Lemmy? Uh, what about Lemmy? Oh, and Getty. And no, Lemmy. Lemmy, yeah. <laughs> they, they, made, they made it work, you know. Yeah, yeah. But for me, I was more the P-based guy, you know. I, and I, I, I met, same with me. When I got the Alembic, I mean, what I didn't know about the Alembic is I got it because Stanley Clark played the Yeah, Alembic. that's right, that's right. Yeah, but what I didn't know is you had to be six four <laughs> to play the Olympic, and you had to have arms like a gorilla. <laughs> pardon, pardon my uh, 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 analogy there, but play. you got to have big hands. 
you gotta have big hands to play. That was a big boy bass. Sure, sure. Joe, I had to go to fucking short scales for gigs. I know what you're talking about. Oh, look, look, it's the middle of summer, but I, I want to play winter.
tell your story Your story, Simon When they tell your story Your story, Simon the moonlight plays A ride on the river Toward the end of the day And you Always knew The river was in your blood When you fell Strangely in love Moonlight plays A ride on the river Toward the end of the day Toward the end of the day Edition. That was Winter from Joe Bouchard. Uh, and Winter's up where he grew up uh, are for tough men. <laughs> tough enough to manhandle a, an alembic base. It, put, it puts hair on your chest. <laughs> That's it. And we had A.B. Normal, Brother Phil, doing their Stellar Dream interpretation. Sid Barrett there, edit too, from a Mammoth. Spraying after that, Constant Hum, brand new. And finally, bottom of the bottomless, Joe Bouchard. Oh, 
Nice. Bottom of the bottomless. I thought that would yeah. be a great last song. Is it the bottom of the... Was it the last one? Yeah. Oh, no, actually, Winter is the last song. In the, no, in the but order. I mean, uh, but, uh, as, as you were recording. Uh, yeah. Actually, the last one was uh, Once Upon a Time at the Border. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but... And Winter. Winter was the last one, you know. Um... Uh, the uh, bottom of the bottom, which is cool though, because John Shirley sent me those lyrics. You know John Shirley? Uh, He's a science fiction writer. Yeah, yeah. And he writes lyrics for Blue Oyster Cult. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. The last two albums, most of the lyrics are John Shirley. Wow. And, and he's excellent. He's excellent, you know. Uh, so, he, you know, he sent me an email because he heard some of my other solo albums. And he said he was a fan. So I said, John, send me some lyrics. Next day, he sends me She's a Legend and Bottom of the Bottomless. That's and, bitchin'. you know, they're really fun to work with. He's so smart. You know, Sandy Perlman introduced him to the Blue Oyster Cult guys. Okay. Because Sandy didn't want to write lyrics. But he knew this guy, John Shirley. So Sandy was the reason that, that one of the reasons that they picked him to help them with their lyrics. Let so, me ask you this, Joe. You know the Blue Oyster Cult symbol. This guy, yes. Bill Golick. Yes. What can you tell me about him? Well, I lived in the house with Bill Golick. I think the other guys, I was, I think I was the only guy that was, no, Eric lived there too, but he was living someplace else too. So it was pretty much me, Bill Golick, and this other guy, Phil King, and we had we had this uh, house out in the suburbs of Long Island, and I would watch Bill um, uh, do his artwork, and he had the symbol on the he had it taped on the wall in the living room of our house, and he would stare at this symbol for like a week, <laughs> and just move like one little curve. He was working on that curve to get that curve really smooth. Sure, sure. Yeah, I got, you, you know. And then, you wrote and then a we, song, we Joe. Good time. Joe, you wrote a song called "Hot Rails to Hell." Yes. Was that about a gig you went to in the city? Yes. With Bill Golick. With, with Bill Golick and Roran Rasan Kirk. You know oh. the guy who plays three sax from yeah, the one. Yeah, sure. And uh, it was really intense. And really intense. And, and Bill Golick was so cheap, he didn't want to park his car in the city, even if it would have cost us like $5 to park. He decided that he was going to park out in Queens. We were going to take the subway from Queens into Lincoln Center, where the concert was. So that's where I got the idea for Hot Rails to Hell. Now, why, why, did, why, why, why did you say you know darn well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I changed it to damn well. Yeah, I mean, was it that heavy in those days? You couldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> you are so much into these details. But I don't know. I didn't want to get banned yeah, from the radio. Yeah, I understand. I just said that. But it always bugged me because you guys were so balls out. And then you hear you say you, darn. You, you know, I've done interviews... For 50 years, you're the first person that's asked me that. 
because this goes through my head every fucking day for last oh, 55 years. I mean, do the song, you hear it. Yeah. No, it was, it, it became easier and easier as the shows got like louder and tougher. <laughs> it, it was easier to do damn well. So, Joe, uh, you, you got it. That's right. I didn't want it banned from the radio. What, what's your advice, Joe? Somebody young getting in the racket. Well, you got to love it. You got to love it like like you love it. You love it. You there, what else would you do? Yeah. Would you would you get a day job? No. Well, I make music <laughs> in the daytime. <laughs> uh, where can people find you on the internet, Joe? JoeBouchard.com. Hear that, JoeBouchard.com. J-O-E-B-O-U-C-H-A-R-D.com. You got it. Next, exactly. Next plan. What's your next plan, Joe? Uh, well, you know, Albert and I started our own record label. Maybe you don't know that. You told me. We, Albert, yeah, it's called Rock rec- Heart Records. You told me this and, new record's uh, on it. Yeah, and... Uh, and Albert's got a new album that'll be out in October. Yeah. And it's fantastic. I play a couple of tracks on it. Um, fantastic album. And then we've got other projects we're going to do in 2021, 20, 22, uh, you know, compilations. We've got all this solo material. And now we finally have a real structured record label to get this stuff out. So, so far, mine is the first song, uh, first album on this uh, label and I think it's going to do really well. It's really doing well. It's, it's going great guns right now and and like I said, Albert's record is, will blow your mind. You'll love I can't it. Wait so to you got to talk to him. I will. Yeah. I promise. I promise. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, when I get to see you again, it's going to be a good time. Absolutely. Love Sooner the better. I owe you so much. You've added to uh, my whole music thing so much, being that bass man that was a creative man. Yeah. Thank I'm you. doing my thing, you know, it, it's my calling, you know. You, you know, and that, and now I've got more time than I've ever had to do the creative stuff. So right. you know, you gotta put in the time. Sure, sure. Ian Ian Hunter, you know, from Mott the Hoople, Ian told I had lessons with him basically. Because he would write songs with Neil and Dennis. And and he would be like my writing teacher. He says, you know, you think you might be able to get by with just doing this and that, but you got to put in the time. Yeah. There's, there's no substitute. For, there's no, no shortcut. For in our no shortcut. No shortcuts. You just got to do it. Yeah. And if it's calling to you, that it, it makes it beautiful because it's not like work, you know? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like work, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good word. <laughs> I, I know the semantics again. Uh, it's been big honor to have you on the show, Joe. When you get this other stuff out, let's come back on and talk about it. Absolutely, I, okay. I love talking to you. That's yeah. we should have done this years ago, yeah. but I'm glad we're doing it right now. You know what? Orson, nothing like it now. You know, you know what Orson Welles said. Like the now. You know what Orson yeah. Welles said. No wine before it's time. Fine, you got it. <laughs> Great. Love you, Joe. People, it's been the last day of July 2020. Edition of Pedro Show special guest, Joe Bouchard. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>